Hi, I'm Tony Hines and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This is the News Roundup, all about what's happening in global supply chains this week. Amazon has laid off 18,000 workers in the United States, Canada, and Costa Rica. And this comes hot on the heels of other losses for Amazon job losses in Europe. And this week, there are strikes at Amazon warehouses in the United Kingdom and in Europe. So, not all well at the moment with the giant tech company. There have been a number of articles and comments in the news in the past few weeks talking about the disconnection between the C-suite and people operating supply chains. A recent survey found that half of chief procurement officers said a lack of board-level buy-in and not enough understanding of the role that procurement plays in adding value to the organisation is one of the key reasons. They also noted in the survey that uh, CPOs had a limited remit which was hindering ESG targets as well as a lack of trust from across the organisation. Sustainability is not seen as a procurement activity. Well, that's just madness, isn't it? It obviously is. And the C-suite need to wake up. Procurement can help in so many ways to improving sustainability for the organisation. And that's got to be something that needs to be fully understood by everybody in the organisation. The survey covered 529 C-suite leaders and 536 procurement professionals across the US, UK, Germany, Italy, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia and the Nordic countries. Another startling finding from that survey was that 72% of CPOs, but only 50% of C-suite leaders, considered negotiating and executing external contracts to deliver cost savings was part of the procurement role. So obviously a lack of understanding there. Well, the message is loud and clear, isn't it? If you're in the C-suite, wake up, wake up, wake up. Supply management had an interesting piece this week, and that was on four issues holding back procurement teams by Juliet Roussel. And she commented on Thibault Lecat, UK Managing Director of Consultancy Inverto. And he says that meeting regulatory targets is not enough. Teams need to build sustainable and transparent supply chains to future-proof against incoming laws. There was research conducted by Inverto that found 39% of businesses have not adopted procurement sustainability strategy and only half, 50%, in case you didn't know what half was, consider carbon footprint as a factor when selecting suppliers. Supply chain due diligence laws recently came into effect in Germany and companies could be fined 2% of global profits if they fail to identify risks of environmental destruction or human rights violations in supply chains. And the EU is scheduled to introduce its Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive in 2024. So there's much to do. 
but it seems that people aren't getting the message. So this is more depressing news about what's not happening in supply chains that should be. So again, it's Wake Up Weekend. Fairtrade has introduced an online tool which aims to promote transparency and cooperation. The tool maps human rights and environmental risks in the supply chain, and users of the tool can sort the supply chain by commodity, geography, or specific issues that they want to track. It's a collaboration with farmers and workers to develop sustainable supply chains. So that looks quite interesting, and you can go and have a look at that tool on the Fairtrade website. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. They worked with farmer cooperatives, workers and management, Fairtrade staff from six continents, and external experts. The risk map can facilitate a transparent dialogue between supply chain actors to help companies build effective responses to address the greatest risks, avoiding further harm to farming communities and the planet. So says Marika Depena, president of the Fairtrade Producer Network for Latin America and the Caribbean. The map's a first step in developing visibility of those things, typical human rights, environmental due diligence process, and risks in the supply chain to the organisation. So go and take a look. It's a good a good tool. I've had a look at the tool. Looks quite interesting. And uh, you should too. We all realise by now that one of the big drivers of inflation has been prices in the supply chain. And that's because the pandemic shut down so many supply chains that when they all opened up again, the demand was higher than the available supply. So that obviously is a shock to the system and pushes those prices right up. In the UK, of course, we've got the added problem of Brexit fallout. And that hasn't gone away. If anything, it's worse than ever. And many will deny that. There's a lot of denial around this in the higher echelons of government. But people need to wake up and realise that Brexit was handled extremely badly by the government. It's not the issue that of Brexit, that's the problem. It's the way it was handled. And it was handled appallingly. There was no planning. It just languished and sat there. And we've still got the fallout with the Northern Irish Protocol still not resolved. And all the bureaucracy that's added to small and medium-sized firm costs disproportionately to the larger firms who can manage and control their costs better with the manoeuvres that they can take. Joseph Steiglitz was writing in The Guardian this week about this very issue, and you should go to The Guardian newspaper and pick up the article. Of course, what we have now are lots of strikes, and the strikes will inevitably push up labour costs, and as those labour costs increase, of course, that will add to the problem of inflation. So all the action that's being taken to dampen the impact of inflation could be eroded by wage costs if that spirals out of control. And this is not to argue the rights or wrongs of wage increases because people have been badly impacted by inflation and they feel they're not getting fair pay now for the work that they do and are having to bear all these higher costs. So it's difficult. News on Friday, $8 billion was wiped off the Intel Corporation market valuation as the U.S. chipmaker had reported dismal earning projections which raised fears of a slump 
in the personal computer market. And so it just shows what a difficult market that chip market is at present. It's the worst quarter for Intel since its dot-combable disaster. And if you remember, that was around the early 2000s. The company is steadily losing market share to rivals like AMD, which has used contract chip makers such as Taiwan-based TSMC to make chips that have outpaced Intel's technology. So is this a matter of complacency or is it just a difficult market? Intel will now have to cut cost, which will affect its plans for the road ahead. It's got to cut 3 billion US dollars in cost this year. It generated 7.7 billion dollars in cash from its operations and it paid a dividend or dividends of 1.5 billion. And perhaps it'll have to cut back the dividend which will possibly damage the share price further. But it's a bleak outlook at the moment for Intel. But the chip market generally is not in a healthy state. Sticking with chips, the United States has secured a deal with Netherlands and Japan to restrict the exports of some advanced chip-making machinery to China in the talks that concluded on Friday. That's according to Bloomberg. The talks took place in Washington and they discussed the wide range of issues. The talks were led by the White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. China accused the United States of being a unilateral bully. This is because of retaliatory measures that the US is supposed to have taken with regard to the World Trade Organization meeting, which took place on Friday, where sharp criticism was exchanged. The chief ambassador for China to the WTO, Li Shangang, spoke at a meeting about the trade disputes and has lodged an appeal against a series of WTO rulings which involve China, Turkey, Norway and Switzerland. It's about metal tariffs. Chinese accused. US of being a unilateral bully, a rule breaker and a supply chain disruptor. There are some separate disputes with Hong Kong over labelling, which Washington also appealed. Australia and Germany announced this week $90 million of investment in hydrogen supply chains. This follows a bilateral agreement signed back in June 2021, and this is to develop and clean supply chains using hydrogen technology. The Japanese industry minister announced this week that they had a carbon capture plan to store capacity of 6 to 12 million tonnes by 2030. This is under a long-term roadmap for carbon capture and storage that the Japanese government wishes to implement. The ministry estimated that Japan will be storing 120 to 240 million tonnes of CO2 a year by 2050. Oil prices are lower this week too, and the lower oil prices and the lower energy costs on the world market are driving down inflation currently. So let's hope that that continues. Most businesses and most industry and most governments want stability and less uncertainty. And certainly, if energy costs come down, that will happen. It was reported this week that uh, fast fashion business H&M have tumbling profits as costs bite. And of course, in recent months, many have accused H&M of having a 
a fast fashion supply chain that's not sustainable. They think many of the claims made by the company are overstated when it comes to having green, clean supply chains. UK regional airline Flybe has gone into administration for a second time this week and they've cancelled all flights in the UK and nobody knows yet what's going to happen but jobs will be lost but not as many as the first time they went into administration a couple of years back but uh, people working for the airline will of course lose their jobs in this round of administration. Flybe headquartered in Birmingham has terminated 276 employment contracts after going into administration. It operates flights between Birmingham, Heathrow, Glasgow, Belfast, Amsterdam, Geneva, and all of those flights are now cancelled. One of the problems that the airline had experienced were supply chain problems in terms of delivery of 17 new aircraft, which has impacted their operational capacities. Some better news from the aircraft industry comes from plane producers this week. Boeing is to hire 10,000 workers in 2023 as it's ramping up its production. It's recovering from the pandemic and it plans to increase jetliner production. It will, however, trim some of the support jobs. It's boosted overall employment by about 14,000 workers in 2022 to 156,000 at December the 31st. And that's from 142,000 in 2021. Boeing employs about 136,000 workers in the United States. Some of the support functions in product and technology development will be lost in 2023. And the growth will come from the business units, as well as engineering and manufacturing, to meet the airline's growing demand. Deliveries of the 737 MAX from 374 aircraft in 2022 will be upped to 400 to 450 planes, with deliveries of the 787 expected to hit between 70 and 80 aircraft. European rivals Airbus said this week that they plan to add 13,000 employees this year. 7,000 of those jobs are set to be newly created positions, with about 9,000 of the new hires based in Europe. Boeing didn't say how many jobs it would be creating in the United States in 2023. It's now nearly back to pre-pandemic workforce levels, which were 161,000 people at the end of 2019. In the United States, Amazon announced this week that it will be charging for the delivery of fresh groceries from February the 28th. If the order value is lower than £150, Amazon will charge for the delivery. Prime members, remember, already pay a charge for deliveries, but they'll have to pay even more for fresh food. So, things must be tight. The present situation is that Amazon Prime customers can get free delivery in a two-hour window if they place a $35 order. But from February the 28th, that will have to be a $150 order to get the free delivery. Otherwise, there's a charge. If you order between $100 and $150, it'll be $4. While for $50 orders to $100, it will be $7. If it's less than $50, then it's a whopping $10. So that'll really hit people who just order smaller quantities. And pushing the value of orders up might seem a good thing for the company, but for consumers, 
it isn't so good because you tend to overbuy. You'll buy too much and you'll waste money. Not only will you waste money on the order delivery charge, but you'll probably waste it on buying things that will go off before they're consumed or things that you realise later that you didn't really want. It raised its annual fee to $139 for Prime membership in the United States from last year's $119. So it's much pricier to do business with Amazon this year than it was last. And I wonder how many people will drop off as a result of this. Is there elasticity in this deal? There might be. This is what economists call it when they talk about price elasticity. If you push the price up too much, the number of buyers drops. And this could well happen for Amazon. And will they destroy the business that they've built? Maybe they don't want it anymore. And that's why they're pushing up the charge. Or maybe they just see it as extra profit that they'll get it anyway. Be interesting, won't it, to see. It's a gamble, an experiment, and uh, the results will be interesting to read. Now next week, the major central banks, the Fed, the European Central Bank and the Bank of England will all review interest rates and make a decision whether those rates need to go up anymore. Of course, if they push them up, that will be to dampen demand. But is that really what they want to do? In these difficult, uncertain times, it may not be. It may just be steady as we go. The underlying inflation rate appears to be falling, according to official statistics. It was reported that the underlying rate in the United States was down to 4.4%. And the underlying rate in the United Kingdom is also falling, as it is in Europe, but not as much as in the United States. So, be interesting to see what happens Thursday next week. And of course, we'll be back, we'll return to that story, that item, next weekend, when we publish the News Roundup. This week, the British Standards Institute published a Supply Chain Risk Insights Report 2023. And in there, there was an interesting piece about cargo hijackings being overtaken by thefts from facilities. Apparently, a quarter of thefts from hijacking have fallen to 17%, and they're not the top concern at present. More than a quarter of thefts, 26%, come from facilities. So storage facilities are being broken into and food and drink and commodities are being stolen. Back in February, thieves stole about 4,000 pairs of branded shoes from a truck parked at a motorway interchange in South Lanarkshire. They were said to be worth nearly £400,000. In August, £300,000 worth of coffee machines were stolen from a warehouse in Birmingham and the thieves used the company's own forklift to assist in the theft. So, lots of thefts from facilities. So, lock up your facility, make sure you've got cameras, protect those goods, or you could be at risk from theft. We all know that information is valuable. And it used to be that we would gather information in the physical world by talking to people, by watching people, by gathering documents owned by other people. And some of that, of course, some of that activity is illegal, as we know. But it's much easier now to get hold of digital data without moving from your location. And whether you're a company or an individual, the risks 
are greater and there are more risks. All the devices that we use on a daily basis, be it mobile phones, laptops, tablets, smart speakers, smart watches, smart energy meters, fridges, light bulbs and various other appliances, TV sets and so on, your doorbell, cameras and any of the security cameras and even your cars. And in one report, even hot tubs, I believe, have got these microchips in that could be giving information to other people about your behaviour. So the security risks are great. And these stories often leak out when there are moments to spread scare stories about Chinese technology, for example. But there are real risks because it's very easy to have a microchip that feeds back data to a central point, which can, obviously, spy on people's behaviour. Now, you might think you've got nothing to spy on, but once data is aggregated, of course, that gives people a picture of behaviours more than the individual, but about trends in society. So it could be used for all sorts of activity, for marketing purposes, which are relatively innocent, or it could be used for crime or for state espionage. So, are your supply chains secure? Well, some food for thought. Do people know more about your business than you do? Now, when it comes to your groceries, we've had inflationary pressures and rising costs in transport, fuel, labour, the ingredients that go into the food. And all of this has happened in a post-Brexit world in the UK, where supply chains have become far more complex, more bureaucratic and more costly to run. But consider this, if you run a frozen food business or you operate in the chilled ambient goods area, you might have to be contending with large energy price increases in your warehouse and in your transportation. And it's likely to get worse from April as the government reduces its energy bill support for businesses in the UK. It's expensive to freeze and process cold stores. Some of those stores run at minus 20, and if companies have to reduce the temperatures, they risk, of course, making those goods in the store worthless. So they have to run them at the ambient temperatures required. The volatility in our food supply chains has never been greater, and the costs of operating cold stores never been higher. So all this cost and risk is contributing to higher prices. So it's inflationary. If you run chilled supply chains, you'll already know this, of course. And will it get better anytime soon? We just don't know. But most certainly, we have to watch cost. We have to renegotiate those contracts better. And we have to hold prices down. But that's what we can do running our businesses. But there also has to be more pressure from governments to change policy with regard to controlling those energy costs. And they really need to, as they used to say, pull their finger out to get those costs down. If businesses are not supported, then we risk losing those businesses forever. And nobody wants that. Are you a one-man band, a small band, or an orchestra? 
The level of sophistication that you need will be different in each. But for all of us, we need data on performance so that we can make adjustments to our plans to optimize and to minimize cost. And it's all about managing trucks, trains, warehouses. And it's been seen that the more automation we can have in our warehouse, the smoother things could actually run. But we still need people, people with talent, to manage those. And so that's an important realization for many, that we need that human participation in process. There's lots of talk about artificial intelligence, and it's important, but sometimes it's overstated. And the things that make the difference in organizations are the technology, but also the people. And so when you're looking for your supply chain advantage, just remember that. When we talk about supply chains as systems, we are looking to make those systems work efficiently and effectively for the customer. And you might want to stop by the Chain Reaction podcast site this week and pick up Systems Thinking, where I talk about that very issue. And there are some other interesting episodes that you might have missed, so stop by, take a look, and pick those up too. And in the next couple of weeks, you can see what's coming up in the highlight episode that tells you what's about to be released. So keep following us, and uh, I hope you get something from listening to the podcast. Well, that's it for this week and the news roundup. And I'm going to leave you with one thought. Supply chains are all about people, process, technology. So keep that in mind as you work towards your next supply chain advantage. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now. And I'll see you in the next episode. The Chain Reaction Podcast is written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.